0: In this excerpt from your book, you detail the steps that you took to help one of your students kind of process his feelings, attitudes, and biases, Um, and you detail, you know, that it was a lengthy process. Um, Can you talk about the kind of energy that work requires?
1: (laughs) Yes, thank you so much. Um, hmm. You know, so the kinds of energy, I'm thinking of different ways of answering that. So on one level, you could say in terms of quantity, it it requires a lot. You know, Um, it requires a certain kind of commitment, um, a certain willingness to turn toward that which we could so easily deflect, turn away from, deny, minimize, um, avoid. Okay we've got a lot of let's say um, how do I put this we, I feel we have a lot of support in most of our communities um, in many cultures for turning away from difficulty yeah. um, and certainly when we are in um, institutional settings with other ob- uh objectives that we could point to as a justification for avoiding these issues um there are many uh ways in which we often find ourselves um doing so avoiding turning toward these issues so so the energy that it takes is at least in part i think for me what comes up is the fact that It's really important to decide that when these opportunities present themselves for us to, you know, to really look into what's arising around all of this, we will take them up. We will turn into that opportunity as opposed to away from it. So that's a kind of energy it takes. I also think it takes a kind of grounding in a certain kind of. I'm going to use the word love here, (laughs) a certain kind of, you could, we could use the word kindness. We could use the word loving kindness, but essentially um, for me, it takes some, mm, some feeling of, 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 of the value, well, of the possibility of connecting across lots of, of difference and, and the, of the importance and value of, of trying to do so, Um, again and again, even when it's difficult. So um, yeah, so those are two ways I think about the kinds of energy that are necessary. Number one, it takes a fair amount. Number two, it takes a kind of energy that's wrapped in kindness, love, compassion, that includes ourselves, even as we seek to extend it toward others. And these, both of these then, imply a certain amount of, let's say, work, kind of rolling up our sleeves and um, and engaging in these aspects of our, our lives, these interactions, these um, opportunities to connect with a certain will to stay in it over the long term as well, or as long as might be required. Um, it might be possible uh, in the effort to create some possibilities for healing, for peacemaking, for doing justice that we can feel in our communities. Well, those are some thoughts.
0: Why is it worth it to you to do that work, especially on that one-to-one level?
1: Why is it worth it? Yeah. Hmm. Well, in my view, absolutely everything is connected. And that means all of us are connected. And and so it seems to me that um, when we have these opportunities to Expand the sense of our common ground, um, and we don't take advantage of them, and we don't do what we can to heal, repair, and transform the world. To use um, the language of kind of tikkun alum that comes out of the Jewish tradition, right? But if we don't take a, a, a advantage of these opportunities to to bridge difference, then it seems to me we are in effect, contributing to distance and contributing to barriers and obstacles uh, to to deep well being. I don't know. For me, it's about um, it is about practice. This isn't about actually politics, frankly. Hmm. It's about um, and by politics, I mean like a power struggle and any or kind of a way of making myself. Uh, you know, sort of maximizing some experience for myself alone from for yeah. some you know ego based sense of what life is about. It is grounded in, um, you know, in awareness of our fundamental interconnectedness, of um, the and the call and the call that seems to arise out of that for me which is always about um, minimizing harm as best we can. Um, and so for me, uh, minimizing uh, or working to dismantle the barriers to, to the awareness of our fundamental interconnectedness, that to me is just seems like what we should be doing um, if we're practicing deeply. It just seems like it just naturally arises out of deep practice for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And even as I realize this is not necessarily so for everybody who practices, for me, it just seems like um, it seems uh, to to arise out of the of the deep ethical ground of my practice. Oh, that's so interesting. So. I didn't plan to ask this, but who does
0: it serve if I can ask it that way I mean are you doing it for yourself are you doing it for the other person for the kind of greater good of society or just to honor the practice like what is that part about (laughs)
1: um uh, to me it serves life you Uh know which is uh you know the gift of 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 literally being alive um To me, that's not about any one of us, actually, you know. I mean, fundamentally, um, proceeding from a place of what in Buddhism is called right view, right? right? And all, you know, all of the different dimensions of the eightfold path and the middle way, which is, you know, the deeper foundations of mindfulness for me. Uh, this is just an effort to put language around something that's actually probably beyond words. Right. But really, <laughs> there is this sense that, um, you know, to be alive is a great gift. And and therefore, you know, the only real response to, to such a gift is gratitude. And a way to show gratitude is to try to minimize harm wherever it arises as best you can. Recognizing we're not perfect, recognizing that you know we're not all you know we're you know we're not always able to see clearly how what we're doing minimizes or contributes to harm, and um, you know we're all vulnerable in our own ways and misguided in our own ways, right? So it's with a lot of humility that I say this, (laughs) but but ultimately you know, I I think if to answer this question, I mean, it's for me, I do do think this question of who does it benefit to me, it benefits life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of deludedness about what, what it means to kind of be in, in, in um, in socially engaged, right. There's a lot of um, efforting around self, you know, around competition, around achievement which seems very personal around um, creating uh, well-being that seems very uh, personal and then expanding to a limited circle of our concern the our familiars our loved ones and all of that makes sense and it seems um, the more we really truly understand ourselves to be gifted with life on a planet we didn't create shot through with all sorts of mysteries um, and sharing resources all the time, then it just seems that the only right response to that is to, as best we can try to minimize deludedness about, um, you know, the, the, the predicament we're in. Hmm. And to me, you know, a big, about a lot of delusions about that predicament show up. In identity and in the sense of, um, you know, the uh, the sense we have of our limited capacity uh, to to work together, to thrive together, Um, the sense we have of limited resources and not enough. So, any it seems to me that, um, you know, if there's a way that as I'm going about my day and engaging with others. I can do some little thing often. Maybe it's just a little thing. Maybe it's just saying hello to somebody that I, you know, based on whatever type of training of the moment, I'm not supposed to recognize or appreciate or value to disrupt some of those teachings, which I feel are kind of in our culture and in the air all the time. We're
0: all just soaking in that all the time, right? Who our people are and who they're not and who you're supposed to have some fellow feeling with and all that. Yeah.
1: Exactly. What we're supposed to respect or value what types of contributions there's so many of those types yeah. of training. if we can counteract them in in ways great and small it just seems like the least we can try to do love this
0: so i do love this and and it sounds very natural when you talk about how you do it and why you do it but however <laughs> it <was laughs> <Yeah. bit> of, <laughs> for a, a racialized person for a, a racialized woman you know microaggressions are everywhere, let alone the macroaggressions, the system we live under, there's, you know, kind of endless opportunity, I guess, for you to practice. And that is work. And I wonder how you take care of yourself to ensure that you can do
1: this work that you want to do, feel called to do. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, well. You know, I mean, I have, I believe that, uh, and I write about this, I I do think it it does require, and for me it has required, or kind of come out of a sense of my own agency and uh, what I often call personal justice. This idea that Justice starts with us, like how we treat ourselves Mm -hmm. is an important part of all of it. Um, And so, for that reason, you know, taking care of myself feels like the first approximation of whatever it is I'm trying to offer in the world. Ah. You know, so there's a reason I live in San Francisco as opposed to. North Carolina or Virginia, where I was born and raised, Uh where, um, frankly, for me, um, the environment right in San Francisco seems to be a bit more conducive to this way, Mm. this way of accepting people, this way of working, you know, across, cross-culturally, multiculturally, um, you know, working with people who have different ways of 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 expressing themselves and and um, whether it be about race, sex orientation, um, religion, um, immigration status, I live entirely in this city, mm. right? And so that's putting myself in a kind of an environment that mm, is not is not an easy one. Still, right? There's still microaggressions. <laughs> There's still all the isms and schisms. They're here. There are no question. They're here, and. You know i'm giving giving myself by choosing to live here a little bit of an environmental kind of support for what I'm trying to do, right. And that's just that's just one example. you know I um, so I think at every point where I have had a chance to choose, you know the kind of career kind of work that I do, right? So going into law and then going into law teaching where there is, for example, again, not that this is a space where we don't have these things come up, but there's a little bit more commitment to democratic, small d, uh, institutional support. So you, your voice matters in a certain kind of way. And we try to, you know, um, make real our values in a certain kind of way. Um, so for me, it's 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 grounded in a, an awareness that these sorts of structural environmental aspects of how we live are a part of what might be possible. And then, of course, within that, you know, personal practices like my own commitment to meditation, uh, my own commitment to living the Dharma and um, being in practice communities with others. I, and I, and I, but I specifically talked about the environment first. And then the practices, because I just to sort of play with the way we tend to think about this. We tend to think, you know, we from the place of practice can just kind of overcome just about everything, and that's a good way to think. And 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 certainly, um, in a, you know, I probably teach that in some ways too. <laughs> and I don't want to miss this opportunity to name the the relevance of um, our embeddedness in the world, right. And what really is possible is, in some measure, aided and abetted and shaped by the circumstances, the environments, the structures and systems that we find ourselves bathing in all the time. Right. So, yeah. So, if we have some choice, so you know, there are certain things we have choice over, and certain things we don't. But if we have some choice to put ourselves in relationships, in workplaces. Uh, in locations in the world where um, we're less likely to, on an everyday basis, be disrespected, mm-hmm. be um, disregarded. Um, then it, And it's a privilege, I'm going to say, it's a privilege to be able to have such choices. But if we, if we do, and we recognize those privileges, to me, that's another aid for them being able to offer support to others. Right. It's like, I've managed to sort of put myself in a place where um, I have a relate, you know, relationships of support, friends and loved ones. I live in a community that is not, you know, that is provides a certain kind of buffer, if you will, against some of the worst kinds of disrespect that a person like me might find out in the world. So from this place of, of some, you know, some relative, protectedness from some of the worst of what the worst of what could come my way, then I actually am able, I think, to give even more. I mean, to me, that calls for, it goes back to your other question, why do this? Who does it serve? It's like, again, it feels like an ethical response to the good fortune that I, that I've, you know, managed to find myself in at this point. Slash put together for yourself. Slash put together for (laughs) (laughs) yourself. Yes. That is true. It is, <laughs> and it's hard, you know. Sometimes I tend to, I do think for me this, there's a certain way in which I, I I I have some humility around the I part of it. Sure. Um, right. I mean, and so I'm, you know, it's a practice point for me to recognize. Certainly, uh, you know, the circumstances I find myself. Um, and right now are a function of both my own personal efforts and actions and taking advantage of certain opportunities and and that agency that I spoke of before. And at the same time, i'm you know i'm I'm very aware that um, the mere fact that we take advantage or try to take advantage of opportunities and exercise agency doesn't necessarily mean we will always end up in positions that afford us. Right. Some protection and buffer against, you know, uh, what can come at us in life, suffering, deep suffering in life. Yeah. So, So while I think it's really important for us, and I do this kind of teaching work as much as possible from this place of helping support the development and cultivation of the sense of like, yes, I can. Yes, this life is for me too. I can make the most of it. I worry sometimes about the extent to which that kind of hyper individualized is all about the effort mm. um, message, which runs, of course, through Western and many other cultures these days. I just worry about um, contributing to which what I think is another kind of delusion mm. that suggests it's all about our personal effort.
0: Right. Because but there aren't those big systems and structures that, you know have much more to do with where you're going to get to than your own personal effort or merit or any of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be here if a whole generation and a generation before that and a generation before that many generations of people hadn't fought for opportunities for people like me, like, you know, period. So we have to keep fighting for opportunities for people who today are suffering from a new set of oppressive systems. And that's another reason why I do this work. I love it. I was really
0: struck in the interaction that, that is in the excerpt that we're running of the, you know, the patience and the compassion and the kindness and the amount of time mm-hmm. um, that you spent with that student. And that's not an approach that everyone would choose or even an approach that might feel available or preferred <laughs> to everyone. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the kind of call-out culture and cancel culture that we're in. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about your take on that. Like, is there I want to ask, is there a value in those approaches too? Because your approach is so one-on-one,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, which feels righteous, but slow. Yeah. <laughs> and the kind of call-out cal- culture or cancel culture. You know has has kind of a big impact. and I wonder what you see in that. You know, does that also move the ball down the field somehow? Mm.
1: Thank you for asking that one. Um, you know, again, from my perspective, we it, it's all here mm. you know, like um to to act. With wisdom may require a range of different ways of of responding to what is. So for me, mindfulness or this kind of middle way, if you will, (laughs) is about um, you know, grounding in a sense of awareness um, of the temptations, right? The the many different kinds of baits there are toward greed, hatred, and delusion and you know all kinds of ways we get caught so but it is about acting as as responsibly as i can in light of all of that uh-huh. and and so what is called for may vary will probably vary um what's called for in a particular context place and time right yeah the question of how to how to to meet a moment um with skillfulness and you know whatever approximation toward equanimity is available <laughs> to us at that moment so and, so again to say what's called for is 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 something that um you know can't fully be predicted in advance, and I don't think that there's only one way, but I definitely think a slow approach has to be part of the toolbox right it just you know. Let's just take a look at our history as a guide. Um, Let's listen to the wise teachers of across the millennia as guides. Um, Again, I just alluded to the movement, let's call it the freedom movement, through which you and I together and separately are able to have this conversation in the context of work and engagement in the world. these the movements that led to women's liberation, more liberation for people of color um, uh, uh, an international awareness of you know the the call to human dignity that we call human rights um, for all all of these 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 movements they're really um, you could see them as separate movements or you could see them as kind of part and parcel of um, An effort that's always around us and within us and not always on the ascendance, not always winning. But um, th- if you look around, there's always somebody who's trying to create more opportunity and liberation for others. But it often takes a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, and so, so, yes, there's a role to play, obviously, for kind of a deep, slow willingness to be a part of whatever solutions might emerge and, um, and to be a healing agent, if you can, right, to, to, to bring together those points of separation and communities that are separated and viewpoints that seem separated, right, to be searching for common humanity. There's always some role to play for that, um, but it's not the only thing, um, the only way and so while I think we've probably, in the social justice arenas, maybe over amplified some of the sharper <laughs> <laughs> ways of dealing with this, um, and that's why I'm doing in a way, why I feel my approach has, has merit, right? In right. other words, it's balanced out the sense of what, what might be called for. Uh, it, it is not though to say that there aren't maybe some times when what we really need to do is to to take a strong, maybe somewhat sharp stand. Mm -hmm. But I just think that um, really to do that requires a lot of skill and a lot of wisdom. I mean, to to act with sharpness, to do so in a way that um, doesn't itself lead to uh, the, you know, the kind of um, cycle of wounding, Mm -hmm. right? And humiliation. That really just keeps the that churns um, our 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 dis our our, our disconnects and, and churns a sense of separation. It, it takes a certain skill to to act firmly and clearly, but to do so in a way that can minimize rather than uh, exacerbate patterns of disconnect and separation, and so. So I think in general, um, I see a lot of fairly, frankly, unwise um, resort to these sharper ways of making a point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, and again, I don't, not to point out or call out anyone in particular, but just to say, if we can invite that deeper reflection on what are the both intentions and impacts Mm. of, of our efforts in the social, in the arena of, of justice and of, of repair and, um, ending oppression. You know, we, we certainly, we want to do what we can to end oppression, but in service of what, like, what do we want? What do we want to create? You know, that to me has to be an ongoing inquiry and reflection and a meditation. What, what is this all for? For me, it's never about just replacing, mm-hmm. right? Just changing places with the people who, or the process, whatever it is that I believe to have been causing harm. It's really about trying to bring about a new way of being with each other. Right, it's and, not that you want to ascend into the oppressor's spot and oppress. Exactly. Right?
0: But Ideally, that's, those that's, would be dismantled.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, dismantle in a way that really amounts to a, a kind of a, a level shift for humanity, mm-hmm. right? Where, where, through which we can really attend to um, the call of this time, which is to find ways, I think, to live together on a planet where indeed everything is connected mm-hmm. um, and where, you know, again, the consequences of not figuring out how to work more effectively together are real and in some many ways dire. Mm. Uh, And so I I really feel that, you know, there's a certain kind of urgency to figuring out how to work for some notion of justice and to end depression, but how to do that in a way that that opens the heart and that expands the capacity of all of us to be agents of of a kind of public love Hmm. um, that can help us sustain human life. Because the rest of the planet, the universe is gonna go on in whatever (laughs) way, but human human life is vulnerable right now because of, I think, our failure to figure out how to live more gently and effectively together on this planet and to appreciate the you know this brief opportunity we have between the the birth and the death date the expiration date to make a a positive impact on our
0: on our world you know do you ever lose your cool
1: you know not as much these days uh you know but but i do get I do get upset. I mean, I, there's so much right now that, um, yeah, I mean, I do quote unquote, lose my cool. I often, lo- I often lose my cool intentionally. Oh, <laughs> as a tool. Well, not necessarily as a tool, well, a tool for my own healing. In <laughs> other words, if I need to let it out, you know, <laughs> and you know, like, if there is some um, heat that's below, that's building, like I, you know, again, this is a trauma sensitive way of doing this work. Like if I'm feeling that sense of agitation and, you know, despair or just like kind of some sudden kind of rage, like something I hear that just seems like completely nuts. <laughs> um, yeah. I, my own practice, journey at the moment is about allowing those feelings to be expressed um and as much as possible doing that regularly enough that they're not you know creating a kind of a a boiler boiler that is going to explode out there right so if i'm here (laughs) at home where it's safe uh it's part of my practice to let the anger and the rage that I feel about injustice come right out. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that that should be seen as, um, you know, as good practice (laughs) to let ourselves feel the entire range. And so that when we are, you know, out and, you know, again, in these privileged opportunities, we have to be with each other. and something comes up and we, uh, we are tempted to be triggered. We, we, we have, we might have something to, to let go. We might have to, um, you know, express some of that, but we're not expressing the week's worth <laughs> or the month's worth, right? Dropping it on the head of the, you know, the person who broke the camel's back, right? Or the one comment. Yeah. So I think that's it's a kind of you know yeah we're we're not we're not perfect. I'm not a machine. Um, I could I regularly lose my cool, but I do it in a way that I think is in service of you know kind of um, dealing with with the temp the sort of um, I'm just going to call it like a trauma aware Mm. way of being you know living. Uh, mindfulness it's like you you can't we're we're there's right now there's so many things happening that are if you are willing to look at these difficult issues and if you're if you're not seeing it if you're not your heart isn't breaking like for me my heart is breaking every day in yeah absolutely all day every day so, I have to be careful i I hum, I sing more nowadays, I hum and sing with others more nowadays really because, yes, because I think that's a full body kind of practice for dis you know letting um hmm, letting our body's natural capacities to process traumatic events uh and to and to allow emotions to be um you know not just titrated but kind of um Mm, you know, to to be integrated, to be sort of, um, right, the alchemy of it, to work. You know, the whole body is in on that. So singing, holding hands, humming, um, all of these are sort of, it seems to me, ways that human beings across time and culture have managed to get through difficult times. I mean, we are not the first, obviously. In fact, I forget sometimes how many generations of human beings before the recorded human history, right? Archaeologists and anthropologists tell us humanity, human, homo homo sapiens sapiens have been on the planet for a couple hundred thousand years at a minimum. Mm -hmm. Homo sapiens sapiens. Now we didn't record that history until much more recently, but just to think that for hundreds of thousands of years We don't know the numbers of the numbers of battles, rages, right? The despair, the inhumanity to each other. And yet we survived and yet we didn't burn down the planet. (laughs) And yet we figured out how to keep, you know, getting up every day and feeding the children, so to speak. There is deep wisdom for how to move through difficult times like ours that we, you know, we've forgotten so much of that. (laughs) And so for me, mindfulness is an invitation for us to not simply, you know, kind of um, work the practices of this particular s- beautiful set of teachings that we call mindfulness, but through that awareness, recognize that there's a planet's worth of wisdom mm-hmm. about how to get through difficult times and, it's, and about the holistic nature of what that takes. So that's what, I'm, that's what I'm about these days. <laughs> <laughs> there are worse things to be about <laughs> yeah. yeah so you know we're humming at our dharma talks these days you know or we are you know sometimes there might be we um, there might be a breaking out into song you
0: know <laughs> An incredible way to deal with it i thought that losing your cool would look more like i don't know like, do you ever want to like just swipe all those books off the bookcase behind <laughs> you, or <laughs> start over? <laughs>
1: well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, maybe, but not, not that, not so much. I mean, I guess when I hear when I hear this, I'm thinking of you know those who are tempted to say, "We just really need to start all over again, right? We we just could just blow it all up and Rip start up. All over." Again. Yeah. 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 And that there's a, you know we know there's a strain of that that's in our political and social culture right now, and I just feel I don't have kids for example, like I'm not physically a mother, but I kind of feel like most moms and most of us, again, in these communities that have suffered a lot over time, you know, we're here. We're, we're usually not the ones who say, let's burn it all down. Cause our, our children are in that our, you know, the things we have lovingly protected from the worst as best we could for generations, whether through slavery or through whatever, right, our cultures and heritages have suffered through. We suffered through so that we can live another day and find the sources of hope and regeneration. We could have at any time, so let's burn it all down like that. So that's, I think that um, it's a certain kind of relative privilege that allows one to say, in response to times of great difficulty, like we're in right now, Well, let's just burn it all down. And we, you know, I mean, I've heard someone say, well, yeah, we probably humankind probably won't, the 7 billion won't survive, but you know, maybe 5 billion or get sloughed off and the other 2 billion will be able. I'm like, (laughs) that's not okay. (laughs) (laughs) This kind of like cavalier attitude to 5 billion human beings. That, you know, I, let's talk to the mothers in the, in those amongst us, right? So I do think, and I don't want to privilege, you know, women in a certain way, but I mean that mothering instinct, It's in, it's, I believe it's in all of us on some level, <laughs> um, that instinct that would protect, that would go into the fire and pull out what we can and start again. Yeah. That to me is, um, you know, that mindfulness of that, cultivation of that is, I think, um, you know, what I feel called to help support. And that I think comes at least in part from my own particular lineage as the granddaughter of the granddaughter of formerly enslaved people. Like there is a a way that, you know, even in the darkest times, intergenerational dark, intergenerationally dark times, Mm -hmm. where there's no reason to think your children will ever get out of this there's a way nevertheless to love to 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 help bring about places where joy and healing can happen and my goodness if people could do it during much darker times the holocausts of our history the enslavement periods of our history if it could be done then we can do it now
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know so i i i have some love and and compassion for those who feel so beleaguered that that the call is to just burn it down i do i understand that and i say you know before you light that match you know look into the eyes of a child hold the hand of a friend you know realize that these very human gestures matter Mm -hmm. yeah and you know look for that that will that capacity to to live another day in love